Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, sapphic women love Chris Hemsworth. We just think he's neat. (laughs) (laughs) And to prove this, we are going over the oft-overlooked cinematic masterpiece. (laughs) Can you hear the quote marks? (laughs) Snow White and the Huntsman, what's up? Starring Kristen Stewart uh, as Snow White, Chris Hemsworth as the Huntsman, and Charlize Theron as herself having the most fun she's ever had in her career. My opinion on this movie has done a complete 180 since the first time I saw it when I was younger. I was coming off of Twilight in terms of opinions about Kristen Stewart. And then after growing and learning to love others as well as myself, and after watching Jupiter Ascending... I have completely come around on this movie. John has insisted we call this episode Snow Navark. I refuse to do so. <laughs> Hi, honey. Get ready for your opinion on this movie to do another 180. It is directed by Rupert Sanders, most notable... As a jerk douches. Most notable for directing Ghost in the Shell starring Scarlett Johansson and the upcoming movie Rub and Tug about a trans man starring Scarlett Johansson. Oh, God damn it! He's involved in that one, too? Yep. Yep. Wasn't he cheating on his wife? Yeah. Uh, this appears to be one of those cases where, like, a big blockbuster was handed to a nobody director for no reason. Before this, he had only really directed commercials, which is why this movie has a ton of style but is ultimately soulless. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would do it. Although it did also get an Oscar nomination for Best Cost which is deserved and best visual effects which is not and like this movie can't seem to decide who it's a vehicle for because Kristen Stewart had just come off the Twilight movies as well so it's like okay is this a vehicle for Kristen Stewart or is this a vehicle for Chris Hemsworth the movie cannot decide and it's not even a vehicle for Charlize Theron who it would be a while before she just sort of stomped all over the world as Furiosa and Mad Max (laughs) Fury Road and gave me a religious experience I mean Technically, she'd already stomped all over the world doing a few other things, like Monster. Directed by Patty Jenkins, director of the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. So, uh, one more note before we get started here. I have this movie on DVD. I got it in a box set with the sequel for $10. Oh, no. Yeah. This movie has an extended version. What? Oh, God. I don't know why anyone thought that was desired or necessary, but the extended version of this movie is a grand total of four minutes longer than the theatrical cut. (laughs) Except for one scene, I could not for the life of me tell you where those four minutes are. (laughs) So this movie begins, as all of our favorite movies do, with narration and voiceover. (laughs) And this time, it's Chris Hemsworth. We're getting an introduction to his horrible f***ing accent early Mm -hmm. on. What is this accent, Christopher? (laughs) It's some kind of, like, Welshy, Australian-y mishmash? I think it's supposed to be Scottish? The important thing is that he pronounces the word white as white. A lot. I feel like this is a movie that really wants to be part of the fairy story and the fairy tale stuff, but doesn't actually want to have it icky gross touching it because it's a serious movie. And yet, this is the origin story. So the movie starts with Queen uh, Liberty Ross, then wife of Rupert Sanders, although she did not remain that way. She deserves better. We all do. And she's wandering through the garden and she sees a rose in the middle of winter. And so she goes to pick it and pricks her finger and three drops of blood fall in the snow. Pay attention to the three drops of blood. It's one of the closest things this movie has to a motif. (laughs) (laughs) She looks at that and she's like, oh, that's pretty. I wish I had a baby with lips as red as blood, skin as white as snow. It's kind of weird. 
to be thinking, man, I wish I could have the whitest fucking baby ever. Like, that's weird, <laughs> I wish right? my baby was hot by <laughs> conventional European standards. <laughs> I just want the whitest fucking baby. What's interesting is that, like, they weave into this this idea that, like, oh, she would also be as steadfast as this rose that blooms alone in the middle of winter. Because it's a postmodern fairy tale, so we really want to make sure that, like, it's about strength of character, not virginity. Although also that. Yes, also it's about virginity. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, then we go to little baby Snow White wandering through a field with a bird with a broken wing because she has inner beauty, you guys. Anyway, a doctor's feeling the queen's forehead, which is foreshadowing her death of plot contrivance. Man, that, that's just going around. So the queen dies of plot contrivance, but not before telling her daughter to be strong and something, something. I think we just saw this scene in Ella Enchanted. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did. It's hinting at a sort of a theme of loss of innocence that never gets really followed through. This movie had four screenwriters. Like, stuff gets lost in drafts. So the king gets real sad about this until an army of soldiers attacks. They're not even doing anything. They're just <laughs> standing in a field. They only respond when they're attacked by a charging cavalry line. It's like an army of Bethesda NPCs. <laughs> Are they all in T-pose? They should be in T-pose. I feel in like they should be in T-pose. <laughs> They're also apparently made of glass, I guess because visual theming, except the mirror is made of brass, so I don't... Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. There's a hot lady in a, in a van. Yeah, the Mysterious Army had exactly one prisoner in a cart, and it's Charlize Theron, and the most believable thing about this movie is that someone could lay eyes on Charlize Theron and want to marry her immediately. Oh my god, yeah, it's like, he forgot being sad about his wife, and <laughs> she was so hot, they got married within 24 hours. Everything <laughs> seems perfectly normal here, nothing to worry about. It's like this whole scene between Charlize Theron and little baby Snow White. Again, it's like, yeah, you're real pretty in your heart and stuff, and also, like, physically, and also, I can tell that we are bound somehow yeah time for my wedding by the way her wedding dress has these like wicker pauldrons every single outfit Charlize theron is wearing is the best outfit like they spent the entire costuming budget on five sets of armor and every single Charlize theron dress she's in a different outfit every scene i love it and they're all very extra they're incredibly extra and i love them Anyway, Snow White is her escort or whatever. I'd say she's holding her train, but she isn't. She's just kind of walking behind her <laughs> at the wedding. And Charlize Theron appears a little freaked out about this. I'm not sure what's going on there. She's the worst flower girl. She's just there. She doesn't even have any flowers. Anyway, time for some banging. So, like, she does not even wait five seconds. I don't think they even get to any banging, actually. Nope, she poisons him immediately. And while he's writhing around being poisoned, she, like, lays out her motivation, which is the most understandable villain motivation in the entire world. <laughs> yeah, it's basically like, well, men shit all over women in, like, every single fairy tale world that we live in. What's up, Game of Thrones? So here's my thought. Charlize Theron's character hates men who toss over their wives for younger women. Rupert Sanders tossed over his wife for a younger woman. Charlize Theron is the villain of the piece. Wow. <laughs> wow, I hate him a lot. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Why do creepy men ruin everything? 
Those are creepy. I was watching some interviews that Kristen Stewart did talking about making this movie. And she was talking about how, like, she was really fascinated by the director. And she was constantly following him around, wanting his attention. And he probably thought she was really annoying, which doesn't speak to a healthy power dynamic between the two of them. Oh, super no. How old was she at, at the time of this? 21 or 22 when this movie was being made. And which is like, you know, old enough to be an adult and old enough to assume you know what you're doing with relationships. But it's a young enough age where you are vulnerable to creepy men who crow about how mature you are. Yes, exactly. Anyway, now she's been dating a lot of really hot girls. So there's that. She found a good place to be. Kristen Stewart has says she uh, identifies as bisexual when she says she identifies as anything. That said, I can understand why with the, all the experiences with men she had, she's decided to just exclusively date girls for a while. <laughs> anyway, we get to see Charlize Theron's O-face as she says, first I will take your life, then I'll take your throne. The body is not even cold. The coup is immediate. And she's like, <laughs> all right, he's dead. Bring in my weird brother. Bring in my disc. Set it up in the most auspicious room in the castle. Duke Hammond and his son William, William being Snow White's best childhood friend, they manage to escape the castle. Snow almost makes it, but then the guy carrying her gets shot and she lands on the wrong side of the gate and the gate slams shut. And Duke Hammond is like, immediately is like, we've lost her and leaves. Like, you didn't even try, dude. <laughs> Not at all. Let's talk for a minute about the creepy incest brother. <laughs> I don't think it's ever directly stated that these two are creepy. Are creepy incest siblings but mm, the vibe is there <laughs> yup would you believe that Crimson Peak could get creepier? <laughs> the sequel, by the way, completely forgets that this guy existed. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Ravenna has a secret sister in the sequel, Freya, who's the Snow Queen, and neither of them mention Finn once. Freya, of course. Yeah, can we also talk about how her name is Ravenna, you know, like Raven A, but she is constantly surrounded by crows? <laughs> Listen, crows are cheaper. <laughs> So she and her weird incest brother, who, by the way, he looks like he went to the barber and said, give me He-Man, <laughs> but worse. <laughs> he looks like he wanders down the hall, creepily singing, I said, hey, what's going on? He is the worst in the movie, outside of the movie. We all know who the worst is. This brother is awful. She moves him in, moves in her big bronze disc, and then goes to stand in front of her big bronze disc. And because this is a Snow White movie, she says the thing, no matter how much it's completely incongruent with the narrative we're setting up around it. There's two cool things here. One, the movie actually acknowledges that it's really hard to make and transport big glass mirrors, and therefore the mirror's made of brass instead. <laughs> yeah. And two, Charlize Theron is actually kind of Selling Ravenna's body language. She's conveying a lot of insecurity and her need to, for validation right after this big victory. So when she says it, she's like pacing back and forth and her shoulders are down and she's sort of like hunched up and worried. And like, it's, it's all really good body language and she's too good for this movie. <laughs> oh, she really is. So many of the actors in this movie are completely wasted on the movie. And that's including our special guest star coming up in the second act. <laughs> <laughs> so around this time, people were making Snow White movies for some reason and they all were very worried about not doing the thing that Disney does which is a weird creepy mask in fire that lives in the mirror. 
Mirror Mirror with with um, Lily Collins, what they did was the queen like just sort of walked into the mirror and walked up into another dimension, which I guess works where she talked to her own reflection. This one just says, you know, f*** it. And therefore a big ooze comes out of the mirror. <laughs> a goopy brass man tells her her fortune. Two things. One, this character in the screenplay is referred to as Mirror Man. <laughs> Two, this character is, believe it or not, the movie's only black dude. What? Of course. This character is played by Chris Obi, who, among other characters, played Anubis in American Gods. Oh, he's oh, so fuck. handsome. He's so handsome, and they covered him in brass ooze. Oh, uh, this is like when they were going to cover the guy completely in tattoos in The Mummy. And then they just said, no, he's too pretty. The Mummy was the right choice there. He is so pretty, you should have left him uncovered with brass. We get a time skip here with some like some Fisher King bullshit where because the king is dead, the land dies. And like, this is some cool narrative symbolism working in like mythology and stuff. So like, clearly at some point, somebody gave a shit. Yeah, like I love that motif in myth and folklore where like the land is absolutely based on the strength of its king. It's some very good shit for me. It's also like Lion King. Snow White has spent the last 10 years or whatever up in the uh, in the North Tower. And hey, look, guys it's Kristen Stewart hey Kristen what's up I like that dress you're gonna be wearing it the whole movie (laughs) (laughs) except when you change into the armor which looks great oh it looks so good Kristen wakes up hangs out in her tiny little room birds love her because she's a beautiful princess She has this recurring motif of magpies hanging out around her as opposed to Ravenna's crows, which are supposed to be ravens. She also says the Lord's Prayer. Kristen Stewart made birthday dolls for herself and then recites the Lord's Prayer. I have no idea what the setting is supposed to be. (laughs) I don't know what we're supposed to do here. Like, here's the thing. Like, Secret of Kells shows us that you can have these sorts of Judeo-Christian imagery intermingle with, like, fairies and folklore and stuff. But it has to be purposeful. This isn't. This is just the Lord's Prayer, and then we don't mention this kind of thing ever again. Sidebar: At the point where we're at the Lord's Prayer, I don't think we need to say Judeo-Christian. That's just straight up Christian. <laughs> You're right. Jewish people don't have that. You're right. That's my catch-all, and it's not quite accurate. Anyway, the guards come into the dungeon and throw like a girl into the cell across the hall, in full view of the princess who's supposed to be dead. Whose idea was this? Well, I mean, I guess it's not going to matter much longer. Anyway, that's how Snow White finds out that the rebellion's still going being led by duke hammond and she you know makes friends with this girl in as much as anyone can Kristen stewart doesn't work as a sort of pure innocent waif character they miscast her in twilight they miscast her in this movie she's not supposed to be a princess she is supposed to wear leather jackets lounge indolently in bars and kiss women on the mouth that's supposed to be her thing she was great in runaways Yeah, Danny Ortberg has written on that extensively, and he is 100% correct. One of his lines was, everything you dislike about Kristen Stewart is the result of a lion being forced to wear house cat drag, and I could not agree more. You can see this pure, raw energy, this incredible bisexual powerhouse coming up through the ashes of the Twilight franchise. She has these moments where she's like, she's filled with almost like this fierce compassion, where she is determined to try and save people. And this is one of those moments where she's like, Like, she's reaching out to Greta and she's trying to reassure her, but at the same time getting the information that the rebellion's still going because she needs that for the plot. This is like a chrysalis for Kristen Stewart, frankly. We can see where she's going to get to, but she's not there yet. But this is so much closer to the kinds of roles that she is best at while still having, like, these trappings of the pining Twilight romantic heroine who wanders around the mountain screaming, Jacob! (laughs) 
Anyway, we cut back to Charlize Theron, who is currently eating the hearts of songbirds with her long-ass nail extensions. Holy shit! <laughs> Life goals! She is not remotely in the vicinity of fucking around. <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna be an evil queen and I'm gonna go for it. And then, because she is also an evil, beautiful queen, she takes off all of her clothes except her bathing crown. <laughs> And then descends into a giant vat of milk, I think? Either that or, like, really soapy water? I can't really tell. Either way, she is completely covered in it when she emerges, and it's a little gross. And also Finn's there the whole time. Yeah, that's, mm, mm, <laughs> mm, 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 don't like him. But we cut really, really f***ing abruptly from that to a scene where two guys have been caught attacking supply caravans and you see Charlize Theron lounging on this throne. She's tapping her nail extensions against the throne itself and it's a great f***ing look. <laughs> I wish I had been more descriptive in my notes because I just have my note here, Jesus Christ, this dress. <laughs> it is like a scale male dress. So the, the two raiders were like an old guy and his really young, hot son. And Ravenna comes up and is like, yeah, you're hot, but white boys ain't shit. And then the white boy stabs her, <laughs> but no blood comes out and it doesn't really seem to hurt her. So she crushes his heart with her magic. <laughs> Hearts and heartbreak are like a big thing in this movie. Again, like I said, somebody clearly at some point gave a shit. Yeah, there's so much in this movie that doesn't want you to examine it too closely, but to feel like things are familiar. Anyway, after killing this guy, she sends his dad off to report back to the Rebellion because he needs to see Snow White escape and then report back to the Rebellion that she has escaped. But mostly it's just like, oh, go back and report how you can't beat me. This guy literally just stabbed me and nothing happened. So tell them all to surrender or whatever. I don't know. I've got wrinkles from doing magic now. You're also like a million years old. Gross. <laughs> you smell like Werther's. Get out of here. <laughs> So yeah, now that she's got wrinkles from doing magic, she's got to go fix that. And Finn gets all like kissy around her neck and shoulder area and then offers Ravenna like a hot young girl who's been standing across the room. And this is Greta, the girl from across the hall, by the way. This movie's psychosexually interesting. It's got a lot of things to suggest, but it doesn't follow through on any of it. And in this case, you know, I'm okay with that. So yeah, Ravenna eats this girl's youth. And now she's hot again. Then she does the mirror mirror on the wall thing. And Chris Obi, mirror man, says, So, uh, it's a certain somebody's 18th birthday today. And, uh, she's hotter than you are. But if you eat her heart, you'll be immortal forever. Sounds like a good deal. Ravenna's immediately like, okay, Finn, go fetch this girl. Ah, like a fine aged wine. You just gotta let it sit in a room for like... Mm, ten, eight, eight, ten years. I have no idea how long it's been. Don't worry about it. Speaking of things that we never actually want to see on camera, here comes Finn and he's leching up real fucking hard about Snow White. Snow White, who has managed to like wrench a nail out of the wall outside of her window. So now she has this great big spike hidden under her pillow, which is a good thing because Finn's getting handsy. Ew, 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 ew. And it turns out like from their text, he's sort of, you know, just lurked and watched her. Oh, God, he's been watching her and it's so fucking creepy. I hate him so much. He is the worst He-Man. <laughs> well, the good news is that Snow White slashes him across the face with a nail and then locks him in the room. Uh, the better news is that magpies are apparently just like the best kinds of guides in any enclosed space. 
And they're not assholes. Snow tries to get Greta out and can't. And Greta, it turns out, is old now because Ravenna ate her youth. So she tells Snow to run off. Snow runs off, goes through the courtyard so that the old dude who's leaving can see her before he reports back to Duke Hammond. And then she jumps into the sewer because this is an edgy movie. (laughs) She wanders through the sewers, comes out the side of the cliff that this castle is situated upon, wanders down on the beach and finds... It's Artax. She found Artax. (laughs) It's Artax, the horse from the never-ending story. He's here. He's just waiting for you. He loves you. You don't need a saddle to ride him. Bareback is fine in that (laughs) dress. She's wearing leather pants under that dress, thank God. Ow. Ow. Also, Kristen Stewart's dress is slipping off her shoulder in these scenes, and I'm at a crisis. Anyway, we get a brief bit where, like, Kristen Stewart rides out through the town and we can see, like, a contrast that is now, like, Game of Thrones town. It's all shitty and muddy and everyone's dirty and, like, eating mud for no reason. And, like, (laughs) they all stare at her with haunted eyes that have seen too much. And then the guards come, so she has to run away. I don't, I'm not sure why that's there. Yeah, we don't come back to that as the thing. Anyway, hey, remember that scene from Lord of the Rings where Arwen has Frodo on the horse and they're being chased by the ringwraiths? Yeah, yeah. 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 This is that shot for shot. (laughs) (laughs) It makes So we go into the dark forest because, again, this is like a fairy tale movie, but we don't want to talk about fairy tales. So we just have the trappings of it where we go into the dark forest, but not before we run across a bog and Artax lives up to his name. (laughs) Bye, Artax. Again. You know, at least we don't see Artax getting too sad and sinking completely into the swamp. Instead, we just leave Artax for dead and we don't come back to him and we don't talk about him ever again. But the good news is is that the other guards horses also aren't gonna go into the dark forest so snow gets a bit of a head start or at least she did until she gets a face full of evil mushrooms and trips balls yeah speaking of ring wraiths i think the implication here is that this is supposed to be a more realistic version of like the evil forest scene from the disney movie but also this is a movie with like sorceresses and literal fairies in it so i don't i don't think we needed like a real world justification for this sequence yeah because like i missed the first time through that she had gotten like hallucinations mushroom gas instead i just figured okay bird corpses like evil dryads a few ring wraiths i mean this is like a dark forest i don't know what's in here anyway we cut back to charlie's there and screaming she's going full evil whispering brother in jupiter ascending <laughs> oh god it's so good oh charlie's theron has no powers in the dark forest for reasons even though she's like evil so it's finally time 33 minutes into the movie to introduce the huntsman Here's what I mean about this movie can't decide if it's a ve- who it's a vehicle for. If this is a Chris Hemsworth movie, why is does he only come in a quarter of the way through? That's weird. No idea. It also doesn't spend a whole lot of time on like Kristen Stewart's character or her emotional arc or like give her any point where she can talk to people instead of being talked about. So it's clearly not a vehicle for her either. So I don't, this is Charlize Theron's movie, I guess. I'm not okay with that. Anyway, uh, they somehow found an even bigger man to kick the shit out of Chris Hemsworth. Which is not an easy task. And we get even more of his horrible fucking accent. Oh yeah. Buckle the hell up for this voice. Chris Hemsworth is broke and drunk over 
the course of the fight, he gets his ass kicked and then he punches a horse in the ass and it kicks him into unconsciousness. Best character intro ever. Right after he's kicked into a coma, he's lying at a horse trough. He gets woken up by a bucket of water to the face and his first instinct is to sass the weird little fucker who came to fetch him for the queen. Because, well, it is Finn. I want to point out that, like, the kind of fun personality that Chris Hemsworth has for these couple of scenes goes away very quickly and does not resurface until the sequel. He's just a fucking suffer puppet for the rest of the movie. Yeah, he's a broody boy. And why is he a broody boy? Let's find out. Broody, broody, broody. He gets dragged in front of the queen. Who, by the way, is wearing a dress studded with bird skulls? It's so good! (laughs) Holy shit! (laughs) Where can I buy this fashion line? Let's bring back bird skulls! So Charlize Theron's like, hey, go into the dark forest. Chris Hemsworth is like, nah, dude, that place fucking sucks. She's like, one of my prisoners has escaped there. He's dead. She. She's certainly dead. Hey, fuck you, buddy. It's medieval times. <laughs> we get this really great line delivery where Charlize Theron just goes, you will do this for me, Huntsman, at top fucking volume. And it like <laughs> echoes through the fucking throne hall and it's so good. And he's still just like, nah. They threaten to kill him and he's like, nah, because you see, his wife is dead. He's sad. He's got a dead wife beard and he's sad and he doesn't have anything to live for anymore so Ravenna's like okay I'll bring your wife back to life if you fucking do this for me because it turns out he only drinks because he's sad bum, bum, bum. and then we cut directly to him like it's almost a Gilligan cut of Chris Hemsworth leading Finn and like all the Queen's guards into the forest there's no way not no way no how you're getting me to walk into that forest bring your wife back I can't believe you got me walking into the forest <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Snow White is finally done tripping balls and she must have the worst hangover. Yeah, she has just been collapsed for what we must assume is at least 12 hours. It's been a while. So she just kind of stumbles through the woods again. And again, we're just sort of hiding from ringwraiths. It's fine. She hides under a tree and it's one of those things where you think he's going to walk past and then he finds her and grabs her immediately because he actually does know what he's doing. I love that it takes him five seconds. (laughs) There's kind of like an oh no, she's hot moment, except I'm pretty sure he's reacting to the fact that she's like 12 fucking years old. I think it's really not clear. There's a lot of things that you think are like supposed to be romantic, but are actually just kind of like, here's my theory. If, if Snow is like Kristen Stewart, like a bisexual woman, then Chris Hemsworth is her token jock friend. He is her token do bro friend. You know, I like that way better than any of the romantic angle that they seem to want to push. And never follow through on. Uh Uh-uh. So yeah, this is the fated meeting between a sapphic woman and her dude bro friend. There is no love truer. And then Finn shows up and Chris Hemsworth is like, okay, bring my wife back from the dead right f***ing now. (laughs) And meanwhile, Finn just blows the whole f***ing thing. And he's like, nah, I don't think she can actually do that. Why would you tell him that right now? Just tell him Ravenna will do it when you get back to the castle. He's a complete (laughs) moron. On. He has an axe <laughs> right to the girl's neck, you idiot. And so now the huntsman has been embroiled in this conflict. He has met a sapphic BFF. And it turns out that Chris Hemsworth is actually a pretty good fighter when he's not fucking hammered and proceeds to Sparta kick Finn into a bunch more of the evil mushrooms. And then they just sort of amscray. Yeah, while Finn screams, I will find you because he is desperately trying to match up to Charlize Theron in this movie. He can't. No one can. We have gotten a cutaway to that old guy that was told to go see Snow White escape and then run away back to the Duke. And he's like, I escaped and Snow White's alive and I run away back to the Duke and there's the Duke's hot son. (laughs) 
It's William. He's hot now, I guess. And he's Legolas now. He is our Orlando Bloom in this movie. He's our weird bow guy who just sort of boggles in the background. William gets back. The Duke is like, by the way, your childhood crush isn't dead after all. And William leaves immediately. He makes good choices. <laughs> he does not waste any fucking time. He knows what movie this is. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Huntsman is like, Snow White punches the Huntsman, steals a knife. The Huntsman's like, oh, fuck this. I'm going to leave. And Snow White's like, wait, the movie has to happen. Get back here. <laughs> <laughs> I need you, my dog friend. Yeah, there's really not any other better reason. They agree that he's going to take her to Duke Hammond's for a hundred gold pieces, which I don't know how much a gold piece is worth in this setting, so. It feels like it wouldn't be a lot. So the huntsman decides to teach her a little bit about fighting, and this is the entire length of his lesson. This is the whole thing, which is take the dagger, block, then stab the dagger. He says use their strength against them, which is like, that's not practical advice. You need to demonstrate how to use the strength again. You know what? Never mind. He also says the forest gains its strength from your weakness, which that's never revisited and nobody knows what it means. Anyway, Finn has gone back to get more guards. Charlie's Theron is not happy about this. And she's about to spend a lot of the movie just sort of not talking. She spends a lot of this movie just kind of looking menacing and or mournful in various long shots. So here she is crushing a flower in front of the edge of the dark forest while wearing an amazing mink coat. So as Finn and his new guards to replace the old guards that got killed by Chris Hemsworth, as he's heading out, William's there. Uh, he made pretty good time. He's like, hey, do you need a bowman? Finn's like, we have a bowman. And then William shoots the bowman. Finn's like, okay, I'll hire this guy who just killed one of my dudes. This seems fine. <laughs> I understand that this is a good thing from a bad guy perspective, but William just straight up shot a dude for convenience. This movie has like a whole theme, sort of, that it's trying to follow through on about like innocence versus necessary violence. I feel like at one point there was a draft of this movie where like William represented keeping Snow White out of the war and like keeping her purity and innocence and making sure that she's never really affected by violence necessary to overthrow a corrupt regime. And on the other hand, the Huntsman is like teaching her how to use knives and teaching her how to fight and saying at some point you're going to have to kill somebody and there's like a push and pull there that mirrors a love triangle but that's not there anymore this movie went through too many drafts there's a lot of fragments of this movie in this movie how about we just ignore all that and we go see a big old troll because of course there's a troll next to a bridge there's always a troll next to a bridge we had to have an entire hallucinogenic experience to explain why people are afraid of the dark forest now here's a troll. I kind of love that the fact that this is a fairy tale kingdom with literal trolls and dwarves is just a thing that kind of pops up into this movie 45 minutes in. Yeah, it does not really take any time to set its setting at all. We get a bad fight sequence where Chris Hemsworth is very clearly just flailing an axe around and they CGI'd a troll in to match where the axe was hitting. <laughs> and he fights this thing for a little bit until it smacks him and he goes flying because Chris Hemsworth spends a lot of movies just kind of bouncing around like a Super Bowl with minimal injury. Then we get some more Fisher King shit with Snow White and the troll where she yells at it and they have like a communion moment. Because she is the rightful heir something something. So then the troll just sort of amscrays and the huntsman just sort of boggles at Snow White a little while. And then they all just sort of, well, here's a boat. Let's go across the lake. And then we find some lake women. 
just a whole village of lake women whose husbands are presumably off doing resistance shit and they've all decided to protect themselves from Charlize Theron's beauty eating powers by like mildly scratching up their faces a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot that you can unpack in this narrative about like how these women are all now considered completely useless to the queen because they have like made themselves quote unquote ugly by giving themselves some mild scarring. But this movie isn't really interested in doing that. There are certain shots where you can't even see the scars. That's how light they are. So Snow White plays with a little girl who has also made her own sadness dollies. And the huntsman is like, ugh, no, I'm just too sad. While one of the lake women is like, I know about you for some reason. Chris Hemsworth finds out that Snow White is Snow White, the king's daughter. Surprise! And then he's like, ugh, no, I have to stay away from her and she should stay away from me because everything I ever cared about was taken away from me. <laughs> oh my god. He is just the most... So he presumably leaves the plot forever. I like that this movie at least acknowledges that a village full of women would be like a therapeutic experience for a girl who lost her mother at a young age and it has had like no positive female influence in her life since then. But then the village catches fire. Yeah, it's another one of those things where we lightly dance around the idea of a young woman who's basically being stalked by her stepmother and lost her mother at a young age and has spent like all of her time very likely blaming herself for all the young women that she presumably meets in that tower being sucked away and dying and we have her in a village full of women and like this movie is interested in this idea of her seeking out these positive female connections but also it's no white and the seven dwarves and everyone knows the dwarves are boys <laughs> so screw that <laughs> this would be a perfect opportunity for snow to talk about how like she's feeling and the struggles that are to come but no it's just people talking to her about her or about the huntsman's feelings she gets no opportunity to actually have an inner life in this movie so the village the entire thing is just set on fire. Because Finn's here, along with William, who, like, briefly rescues Snow from getting grabbed by a dude, but then, like, a great big burning log falls between them, and they have that dramatic moment where, like, he sees her for the first time. And then the movie spends even more time on Chris Hemsworth coming back and searching the village for her, because <laughs> it knows what you're here for. <laughs> <laughs> so they escape the burning village, whatever about all of the women and children, we don't care, apparently. They escape on boats, it's fine, don't worry about it, it's fine. Anyway, we get a Ravenna backstory flashback real quick, where, like, their village is getting raided, and baby Ravenna's mom is like, hey, the only way to save you is for you to use your beauty as, like, evil magic stuff. So here's three drops of blood and a bowl of milk. Drink that. Now you have magic powers, I guess. Avenge us. And that's the end of that bit. And that's just there. Well, there's three drops of blood. This is clearly the motif. It's a good movie. Anyway, we get Snow White and uh, the Huntsman just basically taking a break in the woods. They're still soaked. We actually get kind of a good bonding moment where, like, the Huntsman tells her that he's gonna take her to Duke Hammonds, and then they both get mugged by dwarves. And one of the dwarves is Ian McShane. All the dwarves in this movie are bandits. They know the Huntsman, they're old pals, don't worry about it, shut up, stop asking. There's a very old dwarf here who is certain about some sort of prophecy. He's wearing a plague doctor mask and he takes it off to reveal Bob f***ing Hoskins. <laughs> I did check, this was Bob Hoskins' last role before he died. Oh, God. Yep. But you know what? Here's the thing about Bob Hoskins. In every single movie Bob Hoskins is in, he throws his all into the role. He takes whatever crappy script you're throwing at him. Maybe in the case of Super Mario Brothers, he just gets real drunk <laughs> to get through it. But he gets through it. 
And they said, Bob, do you want to be an old dwarf who talks about prophecies? And he says, you know what? I'm going to be the best goddamn old dwarf who talks about prophecies you've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) And I have nothing but respect for Bob Hoskins. Anyway, Bob Hoskins identifies Snow as like the king's daughter and like meaningful in some way. So the dwarves stop beating up on Chris Hemsworth and they're like, fine, let's go. I mean, for five seconds anyway. You still owe us money, you asshole. And then they escape off into a cave and then the movie's only brown dude arrives with the queen's men, grabs some rope and sniffs it to show how good he is at tracking. We are at this point one hour into the movie and I feel like I've been watching it for three days. (laughs) So the dwarves all wander through a cave. Don't worry, all these dwarves are completely interchangeable except Bob Hoskins and his nice boy. And also there's a young dwarf named Gus. Uh, Don't get attached to Gus. Gus is wonderful. Gus is Snow's new best friend. So they wander through this cave and then they come out the other side to a place where mushrooms have googly eyes and I don't care for it. I actually do like the fairy forest here. I like the production design in here. I don't like the mushrooms with googly eyes, but I like everything else in here. So what they're in, this is like a place of the fair folk or something. This is some kind of fairy realm. Yeah, it's called Sanctuary. There's like snakes made of moss. There's like friendly badgers. There's like turtles that have mini islands on their backs. There's like flowers that turn into butterflies and fly away. It's pretty rad. It's a really, really nice look. There's a lot of effort put into this area considering we spend probably a grand total of 10 minutes here. That's the thing, right? It's like completely unimportant. Anyway, they camp for the night and we get some tragic dwarf backstory. I think this whole dwarf backstory thing is like a really nice scene. It's one of the few times we actually have these characters talk about themselves, talk to each other. Snow still doesn't really say all that much because she doesn't have an inner life. But like, it's good dialogue, I think, in this section. Yeah, it's not bad. And the fact that these are all like really prominent British actors, like Nick Frost is one of them, uh, Toby Jones is one of them. These are all fairly like good actors. And as a result, they can make even the cheesiest dialogue come across as respectable. And I mean, this is this is some cheesy ass dialogue. This is like, we mined gold, we were dwarves once, and then Smaug came. I mean, the queen or something. And they sing in Gaelic. What the fuck is this setting? Also, being around Snow White apparently has healing properties. This will come up never again. Also, she dances with Gus and it's cute. At one point, Ian McShane Dwarf sits down next to the Huntsman and is like, so do you want to bang her? And the Huntsman is like, I mean, I wouldn't say no, but I don't think I'm her thing. And you know what? The movie's going to keep asking this question and it's not going to come up with an answer. Nope. There is like no sexual chemistry between these two characters, but I definitely buy them as, as like platonic besties. Yeah, it's definitely not a father-daughter relationship. I think it was supposed to be a father-daughter thing at some point in the drafts before they cast a really young dude as the Huntsman. But in that case, like, they wouldn't have made a big deal about his wife dying because usually when you have somebody whose wife has died and he's paired up with a beautiful woman, that woman becomes his replacement wife who teaches him how to love again. Hey, Karth, how you doing? Let's go see his son who ran off to join a cult. Hey, Thane, how you doing? Oh, you want me to fix your son too? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
So the next morning, Snow White wakes up and a couple of the magpies have landed and tiny fairies crawl out of their chest, which isn't weird at all and nightmarish. Yeah, they're a bunch of little Andy circuses, basically. Snow hears something calling and the fairies lead her off into the woods. And this whole sequence is really f***ing good. It's like really good and relies a lot on you sort of knowing in the back of your head how fairy tales work and fairy tale motifs, but it doesn't actually do anything. But we do get to see a very lovingly designed white heart, which I feel like one of the concept artists, that was the thing they really wanted to do for this movie, is they wanted to have a really lovingly designed white heart that was this huge stag with like tree branches for antlers, and nobody else cared that much, but they were like, okay, sure. Yeah, it's absolutely like a forest king, like in the same way that the forest spirit has that deer form in in Mononoke Hime. And the white heart is a big part of like Arthurian legend. It's this like uncatchable thing that represents like the spiritual evolution of the main character. But unfortunately, Snow White has no inner life. So it's just a pretty thing that bows to her to indicate that she's the true queen of the land. Anyway, somebody shoots the white heart. Surely a fairy glade that you have to like be really secretive to get into is something that like only the pure of heart can enter or something something. You think this place would be protected by some kind of barrier that would keep anyone who is evil out. Nope, nope. Finn and the Queen's men are just here now and they're shooting (laughs) at people. Also, the dwarves at this point have completely pledged themselves to Snow White. Because Bob Hoskins told them to. Because everyone knows that when Bob Hoskins tells you to fucking do something, you do it. So, this fight slash chase scene. This goes in like three different directions. Two of the dwarves split off to attack the uh, movie's only brown dude who is also an archer. That's gonna come up later. Gus runs off with Snow to get her out of here. Meanwhile, the huntsman goes after Finn. William goes to quote-unquote rescue Snow without telling her that's what he's doing, so he's just leaning out of his saddle trying to grab her and scares the shit out of her for no reason, but that's fine because she basically drags him out of the saddle. And while Finn and the Huntsman are talking, Finn says that, oh yeah, no, I definitely had a hand in your wife dying and maybe I raped and killed her. Oh, yep. Here's the fun thing about the Huntsman killing Finn. It's great. We all really enjoy it. But in the sequel, we find out that A, Finn had nothing to do with his wife's death. What? B, she's not actually dead. What? (laughs) Rendering this moment of catharsis completely f***ing pointless. So Finn is dying. It's real freaking great. Meanwhile, back at the castle, the queen's just writing some nice letters. How do you please? And then... Knocks over some ink, collapses on the floor, starts screaming because I guess they're connected in some kind of weird incest way. She tries to heal him from afar. It doesn't work because he is like super impaled on a tree. (laughs) She's just sort of screaming on the floor and it's very sad. Yeah, she's like, forgive me, brother. And then he dies. He like dehydrates. It's straight up drank from the wrong cup at the Holy Grail. (laughs) was not the cup of a carpenter. No. So anyway, as William is explaining to Snow that, hey, don't kill me, I'm your childhood best friend, guess what happens? Yeah. The movie's only brown dude reappears, tries to shoot at Snow, Gus shouts arrow, and then like comically slowly jumps in front of her and gets shot. We met Gus 15 minutes ago. Gus has had like five lines, and one of them was arrow. And... So with Finn dead and the Queen's men dead and William not actually an antagonist, I guess this conflict is over. We pop out of initiative. Everyone gathers around as Gus dies. And it's like a really, really 
powerful moment for Snow. And if she had a character arc, this would be a turning point in it, but she doesn't. So she just gets a sword out of the deal. And then the dwarves pledge to help Snow White, even though they already did that and Gus didn't need to die to cement that. But Okay. Anyway, time for Star Wars funeral. Without the dwarves running around screaming, yup, nub. And then the dwarves start singing in Gaelic again, which means it's time to transition to some helicopter shots of people climbing on mountains because this movie wants to be Lord of the Rings so f***ing bad. Oh my god. And then they're walking in single file along a windswept hill. William apologizes for leaving Snow behind, despite the fact that he was like eight years old at the time and couldn't really have done anything, and Snow White points that out. And then the huntsman helps her cross a river, and I guess that's symbolism. Look, the important thing is the queen gets a new outfit and it comes with an incredible cape. (laughs) And birds! So many birds. Again, this is another one of those shots where we just sort of see the queen look at something and like just sort of radiate menace. Now, the extended version has a scene here where the huntsman and William are talking about Snow White because she never gets to talk. People just talk about her. And the huntsman's like, hey, you should tell Snow you love her. Don't wait till it's too late. Don't make my mistake. Except like the huntsman was married. And I'm pretty sure that entails saying I love you at least once. God, I hope so. So it's snowing now. And Snow White gets a jump scare, except it's William, except William's acting kind of weird. I'm just going to spoil it right now because it adds a lot of like whatever to the following couple of scenes. But this is Ravenna pretending to be William. Here's the thing. William Ravenna is just sort of like talking about how people are going to like bow to you and you can like take her on and like everybody wants the queen dead. Do you want the queen dead? Yeah. you Do you like the queen? Yes or no? (laughs) Ravenna is very bad at pretending to be William. Because, like, they smooch, sure. Hey, what up? Gay as hell. Ravenna pretending to be William says, if I had had a choice, I'd take you far away from here and we'd just be together and not have to deal with any of the stuff. But I have a duty and so do you. And, like, she can't see William Ravenna's face, but she's making a lot of really sincere facial expressions anyway, which makes me think, like, she actually is saying that. And then she kisses uh, Snow White and then... After the poison apple thing happens, she's like, see, boys ain't shit. Ravenna, that's gay. That's all really gay. <laughs> Ravenna's like, you you remember when I would follow you around anywhere, I would follow you everywhere. And she's like, that's not how I remember it. I mean, yeah, no. Wait, hey, look, it's an apple. And she's like, oh, yeah, you want to play this apple game? He's like, what apple game? Eat it. It's like Ravenna has absolutely no plan aside from professing her crush on Snow White. Snow bites into the apple and it turns furry and she starts choking. And then we get a really, really very good, bad CGI transformation from William into Ravenna. It is so, is so good. The important thing is that she then turns into a swarm of crows. Ravenna monologues at Snow White a little bit so that Snow White can have all that plot information she needs for the climax. And then William and the Huntsman show up and there's just a scene where they fight a flock of birds I think it's supposed to be badass, but it's not. Have you ever tried to punch a bird? It's just them swinging weapons and there's birds. It's not badass. Anyway, Bob Hoskins is here again. God bless you, Bob Hoskins. He's very sad. And then there's a lot of eye contact between him and William as William kisses Snow and like nothing happens. And it almost seems like he was expecting something to happen. But why? At no point has it been communicated that this is a spell that can be broken by true love's kiss. Yeah, at this point, we're relying on you knowing how Snow White works. But the characters have never heard the story of Snow White. So what? (laughs) Maleficent very forcefully telegraphs the whole true love's kiss thing with the twist that she doesn't believe that that exists. And honestly, Ravenna believing the same thing would be believable. But it never gets brought up. I have a line here in my nose that just says William's like, which I'm pretty sure is the noise he makes most of the movie. Yeah. 
So Snow White's still mega dead. William is made out with a corpse. And meanwhile, Ravenna flies back in her little crow form and like the birds all smack into the ground and she just sort of like reforms into this weird murky oil sludge of birds. They smack into the ground with timing that is perfectly comedic and I have a hard time believing that was supposed to be a serious shot because it's so <laughs> fucking funny. Anyway, we cut to a parade of sad boys. <laughs> We finally arrived at the Dukes and everyone is sad. Immediately from like the procession where they're bringing her into the castle and everyone is sad, we cut to Chris Hemsworth drinking over her corpse. Yeah, they just sort of put her on a beer in this huge, huge room in the church. And he's like monologuing at her. Oh, you're all dressed up like you're about to wake up and give me more grief. Like, did she give him grief in the movie? She barely got to say anything. Anyway, we get our dead wife monologue. Oh, God, she's been dead for like a day. Do not smooch her, my dude. But he does. Ew. A couple theories as to why this kiss works. Okay, hit me. Number one, it is possible he loves her. We have seen no evidence of this in the text, but it's possible. Two, it's possible he's thinking about his wife, and that makes it true love's kiss. Better. Three, there's no love truer than that between a sapphic girl and her jock bestie. Best. I like that one. That one. <laughs> I like that one. I like one. that one. That one's the one that I vote for. That one's canon now. But the huntsman leaves and her eyes open and like we cut immediately to William yelling she died for us after we know for a fact that she's not dead. <laughs> and then everyone turns to look as Snow White comes out of the church and Bob Hoskins says the spell is lifted. So he knew it was a spell the whole time and she wasn't really dead and he told nobody else about this. And then Snow White has a monologue about like all the things that she's learned apparently right before her speech she mutters frost to fire and fire to frost it makes no goddamn sense possibly it's something that her dad said to her about motivating people to fight for her but that scene doesn't exist anymore so now it's just out of nowhere <laughs> but the rest of her motivational battle speech also makes no goddamn sense and she sounds like she's reading off of cue cards on her shoes the whole thing basically just culminates and let's go kill a bitch <laughs> Meanwhile, Ravenna has eaten an entire room full of hot girls and has put on some extra eyeliner. She's ready for this shit. Snow White, on the other hand, has got that good, good armor. Oh, it's so good. It's not like boob armor. It's like proper armor. And her hair is like tied back and braided and stuff to keep it out of her face. It's like she really ought to be wearing a helmet. But screw that. She's a main character and she's got her hair sensibly done. And at one point, Chris Hemsworth actually comes up and says, hey, you look pretty fetching in mail, which is like, on the one hand shut up on the other hand yes she does <laughs> this is also like the last line he's going to have in the whole freaking movie as far as i can remember <laughs> also this battle scene coming up is like a little more tactically interesting than your standard like two armies run at each other across a field thing which i hate that style of battle fuck you infinity war <laughs> but instead we've got like a fortified castle which is up on sort of a uh, causeway that only exists at low tide so they gotta get to the castle before the tide comes in and also the gates are closed so they gotta send an infiltration team in to raise the gates so that as soon as they reach the actual walls they can get in because otherwise they're going to just get shot from the ramparts and then drown when the tide comes in so like cool it's almost as though castles were built to be difficult to assault but we cut to the dwarves sneaking in through the sewers to open the gates and it starts with ian mcshane dwarf saying hi ho lads it's off to work <laughs> they did the thing they did the thing and then another character says if he starts whistling i'll smash his face in we have this huge fight scene where the dwarves are working on taking down the battlements and the gate from the inside. Meanwhile, in order to get past this at low tide, the army on horseback is all racing to get to the front gates, knowing that if the gates don't lift in time, they're just going to get murdered by arrows and 
Well, I guess it's better than being within range of the trebuchets. Sidebar, they have trebuchets and it's awesome. So Snow White rushes ahead, basically gets a straight shot towards Ravenna, and then like William and the Huntsman actually tag team their way up to where Snow White is going. Uh, fuck your love triangle. Snow White gets up to where Ravenna is, tosses her shield aside. Honey, you're gonna need that. She's a witch, honey. God, Charlize Theron could kill me with her eyebrows and I'd say thank you. She also makes glass rain down from the ceiling and make those glass soldiers from the beginning as they fight all of the other men. Only now they're just made of glass shards, so they look like horribly broken Bethesda NPCs. Still T-posing, though. Also, uh, f***ing whoops, turns out nobody taught Snow White how to fight. Yeah, we were a little too busy talking about her to talk to her. She's completely hopeless in this fight. Ravenna, like, incapacitates her very quickly and just makes her watch as, like, the Bethesda NPCs beat the shit out <laughs> of her friends and then walks into a fire and screams, You cannot defeat me! She also definitely says your father was too weak to raise his sword, and I'm pretty sure that's a penis thing. That's definitely a penis thing, especially considering how, like, Snow is, like, immediately like, Please don't talk about my dad's penis! And attacks her. <laughs> she also definitely delivers one of those we're not that different, you and I. This scene has everything. It's like they were cramming all the boss fight shit into one scene because they felt it needed to be there. So while the queen's on fire and screaming, we flash back to the one combat thing that Snow White has been taught in this entire movie. Yeah. Remember that maneuver, block and then stab? Well, Ravenna goes to stab her, Snow White blocks it, and then stabs Ravenna in the heart. And three drops of blood fall out of her and onto Snow's arm armor and something something by ferris blood it is undone and then ravenna has this like weirdly prolonged death scene that just all it does is serve to make me feel really bad for her we are lingering on this for maybe an undue amount of time and like snow white kneels down in front of her very obviously feeling sorry for her and like after a really long build-up where it looks like she's about to say something the thing that comes out of her mouth is you can't have my heart and I feel like this line had a second half at some point that was like, it already belongs to someone else. But now it's just kind of there as the lamest comeback ever 10 years late. It's no, I'm not your damn mother. Considering how this whole movie has been building up Snow White's virtue and innocence, the fact that her definitive act of the movie has been to kill someone probably should be more of a thing, but it isn't. Like how you have to reconcile being a good person while still being someone who has taken the life from someone else. And uh, I don't know, whatever. Like maybe if she'd spent the whole movie being like, I don't want to kill Ravenna there has to be some other way to stop her and then like Ravenna's whole speech about how she can't be stopped and she will always like keep doing what she's doing and eventually take over the world would have like more impact and motivate Snow to finally kill her but no <sighs> anyway Snow looks up and sees herself in the mirror and I think that's building up to something but not really <laughs> we, we don't do anything about the mirror mirror man is just kind of hanging out there forever now it factors in in the sequel oh great 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 but anyway, yeah, Fisher King stuff, flowers start growing back on trees, and we have a coronation scene. Where she has two magpies hanging out on a little stand next to her. <laughs> and she's got like a flowering branch and everything, and then she's coronated in the name of all that is good and just in this land. We recited the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of the movie, dude. You can just say God. I think there's even a bishop somewhere in here. And all the girls Ravenna ate seem to be back to normal, because we like see Greta, and she's like young again, I guess. And remember how, like, the last thing the Huntsman said was, you look fetching in mail? Y you think we'd want to get some kind of resolution on this character relationship? Maybe she can say something about how she feels about him, about how they're best friends. Now, he's at the back of the room, and there's some prolonged eye contact, and then it's, it's the end of the movie. <laughs> 
Like, look, Furiosa and Mad Max can exchange a long, meaningful glance. This is not that. Also, in the next movie, it turns out that Snow White married William. What? She straight up married William. He's the prince consort. <laughs> but he's a f boy. She married William and the huntsman's just living in the woods. But William sucks. Yeah, he does suck. He gets to be in the movie and Kristen Stewart doesn't. She actually refused to be in the sequel because she thought all the screenplays sucked. Good for her, frankly. She is not meant to be a princess. Like, if Snow White had been, like, some kind of Boudicca figure raised in the woods by dwarves and then she's, like, covered in blue paint and charging the castle, that would be a good use of Kristen Stewart. <gasps> oh, shit. As it is, she's a better fit for the Huntsman than Snow White. Oh, shit, I'm imagining that now and I can't handle it. Anyway, the end credits have Florence in the machine over them just to make this movie a little bit gayer. Uh, this movie, you guys. You can tell there's a good movie in there. They just couldn't find it. And they tended to fixate a little bit too much on the long, boring bits, but you can tell there was love coming from it back behind it all. Also, fuck Rupert Sanders. So here's a cool idea. Cast Asian people in Asian roles. Cast trans people in trans roles. Cast Charlize Theron in anything she will be amazing <laughs> cast Kristen stewart as the one who pursues not the one who is pursued and you know just keep giving chris hemsworth work he's got three kids he could use the work speaking of which one of the other reasons that this is about how sapphic women love chris hemsworth valkyrie <laughs> i'm pretty sure every chris hemsworth character has like a sapphic bestie i'm pretty sure that's right he is every sapphic woman's like token straight friend who's, like, really supportive and will, like, wingman for you at bars. That is his role in life. Well, Snow White and the Huntsman is a hell of a movie, and hopefully we have convinced you of the absolute fact of sapphic women love Chris Hemsworth, but in the meantime, we have some other final facts for you. Kit, what's your final fact? Kristen Stewart spent the first few years of her career being woefully miscast, and she deserves better. Mac, what's your final fact? A lot of really douchey directors make surprisingly okay movies. You just have to realize the fact that a douchey director's behind it. Annie, what's your final fact? Absolute gold can be found in the worst kinds of places. So that is going to do us for us here today. I Will Fight You comes out every three weeks on iTunes, Stitcher, Pippa, YouTube. You know, just look us up. You're going to find us wherever you look. If you want to support us, a like, rating, review, subscribe, comment, wherever you find our podcast is always super helpful. Uh, if you want to support us with money, you can go to patreon.com slash the gem jam for a couple bucks a month to support both this and our other projects. And we are retooling our Patreon as well with some updated stretch goals. So definitely check that out. I found this absolutely horrid Vlad the Impaler 5e Dungeons and Dragons adventure that I immediately sent to Mackenzie because that is extremely her shit. I so loved it. I have shown it off to everybody who's gotten near my house. So uh, we have a goal on our Patreon where if you reach it, uh, Mackenzie will DM this horrible thing for us. And trust us, you want to see this horrible thing. <laughs> Join us next time. We'll be continuing this Bob Hoskins train. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be looking at another cinematic masterpiece. And to do that, we're going to be inviting a special guest to help us talk about a movie which he loves. So our next fact is going to be the Super Mario Brothers movie is made for literally nobody except Jake Mason. Until... Next time, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you.